All right, today um, I have an awesome guest. We have Pastor Edward Choi, who is the lead pastor at LifePoint Ministries, which is the English ministry of Thanksgiving Church. He is my former boss. I was the college pastor um, at Thanksgiving Church for about six years, and so I had a great opportunity working under Pastor Ed for a while. He's someone I highly admire and respect. I'm really excited to um, get a chance to interview you, Pastor Ed, here on this podcast. Um so first of all, it's a, it's a casual conversation. So don't you know? You know, I started off a little formal, but it's okay. We can be casual. That, that means that means that I'm not graded on this, right? <laughs> no, no, there's no grade. Um, hey, so I know for lots of pastors right now, it's really tough. I've spoken to a number of pastors who are just struggling. Um, a lot of their congregations are really struggling right now, just because of all the lockdowns. Everyone feels super isolated. Pastors are you know, racking their brains on how to effectively lead their congregations during this time. Many are going through financial troubles. You mm-hmm. want to just talk about that a little bit? How has it been for you as a pastor during this lockdown and all this COVID stuff? Yeah, then first of all, Dennis, thanks for this opportunity to, you know, um, share my thoughts. And, um, and uh, again, you know, um, really enjoy our time together and, and continue to enjoy our friendship um, and, um, you know, being part of this, uh, uh, podcast, uh, I'm really uh, glad to be part of it. Um, uh, but that being said, yeah, I think that all the many churches, uh, every church, I think in some degree are navigating during this challenging season. Okay. Um, and I also, uh, depend, I guess, what region of the country you're living in. Like, for example, I assume that if you're in the East coast, and it's freezing cold, right? It's hard to meet outdoors. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, California, we have one weather. It's called summer, uh, and we're able to meet outdoors. Um, so, you know, I could only speak from my own experience. Um, so, Thanksgiving Church, we started outdoor Sunday services. Um, and here's the reasons why, first of all, okay? It is a biblical mandate to gather. Uh, Hebrew says, do not neglect the gathering, okay, uh, like some have made habit of. And I'm going to talk about a little bit about the context of that text, that verse Hebrews talks about. Uh, but it is a biblical mandate, whether it was the Jews, uh, you know, God called uh, uh, the priests to gather the people um, for worship. And even in the New Testament, from the beginning of the church, uh, brothers and sisters of the Lord gather regularly okay right. to worship the lord and so um given the opportunity to meet outdoors um, we are taking every precaution we have people go online to answer all the questions about like have you been exposed to COVID 19 and if you've been out of country you know we ask you to stay home if you uh, you know if you're feeling sick or or think that you have caught COVID 19 to get tested when they come to our you know entrance point for outdoor service, we do a temperature check, okay? We require face mask. We have six feet distancing, okay? And the pulpit, right? Because the pastor, the one who preaches, we don't wear a face mask. We have at least 20 feet distance from the first row, okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, of people who sit in service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we made everything possible. But what really breaks my heart, Dennis, is this okay? I understand, and I even 100% support 
for people who have health issues, who are elderly. When I mean elderly, people who are like 70 and above. The reason why I say that is that the study showed, again, we're going by science, right? We're right. going by science, okay? That if you're under the age of 50, and even if you catch it, the chances of recovery is 99.97%. Yeah. Okay. But right? but and but you're taking a chance. I'm taking a <laughs> chance. You're taking right? a chance. <laughs> yeah, just you know, yeah. you know, for example, every single time you and I get in the car and drive in the highway or the you know, in the streets, you, there's a chance that you and I could get in an accident and die. Right. But it doesn't mean that we shut down the freeways. Right. Doesn't mean we shut down our streets. Right. Right. Um, every single time you and I go swimming, I love swimming. I I swim like at least twice twice a week at the gym. Um, thank God the you know the gym's still open, but there's a chance you could drown. Doesn't sure. mean that we stop swimming. Sure. We stop giving little babies baths because of the chances of drowning. Now, the, but the point is this, all right? Again. Yep. We need to protect the vulnerable, right? The elderly, those with underlying health issues, okay? But this is, this. I want to call out every single Christian right now. If you are not afraid to go to Costco, Walmart, Target, okay? Indoors, no social distancing, no temperature gauging, and you're afraid to come out to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in corporate worship, I'm calling you out. You are a hypocrite. Yeah. You are a hypocrite. You're saying that your belly, your flesh is more important than your soul and your spirit. Okay? Yeah. And so that's how I look at this. All right. Um, and that, you know, we are able to meet outdoors in California. Yeah. All right. And to worship the Lord Jesus Christ together. And I wouldn't even make the argument how much more is it important in a time of a pandemic or crisis. Right to get our relationship right with Christ. Okay? The thing about it, Dennis, right? Okay. Going back to Hebrews. Okay? When Hebrew, the writer of the Hebrew wrote, said that do not neglect the gathering of the saints, like some have made a habit. You know why some of them are making a habit of it? Not because of COVID-19. It was because of persecution. Right. Okay? Christians were persecuted. Right? That they would risk their lives to gather together because they understood that meeting together as a body of Christ was essential with the relationship with Christ. Right. We're not under persecution. And by the way, what was the last time the Bible promises that we're going to live up to 120 years? Right. All right? Yeah. Okay. We're not trying to live our life to live as long as possible on this earth where our bodies are constantly decaying. We're getting old and someday you and I will die whether it's cancer, whether it's uh, uh, a, a heart attack, or, or even COVID-19. Right? Yeah. But not to take a risk, which is a very, very low risk, to meet outdoors, yeah. <laughs> to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah. and you go to shopping, you are a hypocrite. Yeah, I hear you. And I'm on the same page with you, um, Pastor Ed. Um, but... It seems to me that the vast majority of church leaders are not on the same page as you are. Yeah. So it. I, Let me tell you, you know, why, Dennis. Can I? Yeah. Can I say it? Yes. Out? Don't say edit it. this. Okay. They're cowards. They're cowards. Okay. I won't edit it. Okay. They, they, they're cowards. I mean, it should be pastors 
right? Leaders who lead. Okay? I mean, like like missionaries, right? You hear about stories like Jim Elliott, right? Or or missionaries that went to China, or missionaries today as we speak who risked their lives to take the gospel into North Korea. And we in America live in such a comfort. We are cowards to lead our people to be bold in our faith in the midst of a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think Gavinor, uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, he said— Oh, I'm sorry. Is he a governor? He's a dictator. <laughs> I know, I know. The dictator of California. You know, he said this was at the beginning of the pandemic. He said something to the effect of the problem with church is that it's high risk and low reward, right? So his basic argument was that churches don't serve an important function, right? They're yeah. inessential, right? That's that's the argument that's essentially being made. You know, in several in other states, I know that they're allowing like gambling casinos in you know Nevada, but churches have to close, right? Gorsuch. Um, wrote an opinion, you know, basically saying that the, the Constitution could never uh, prescribe that. But, I mean, that's the essential idea here. The problem is that the, the view is the church is relatively inessential. And my, mm -hmm. you know, my problem is not that Gavin Newsom thinks that, because I think, you know, I understand Gavin Newsom's not a Christian, or at least not an evangelical like we are. Um, but my larger issue is that I think that reflects the hearts of lots of Christians, right? Yes. A lot of Christians... Yeah believe that gathering for worship is inessential and that's why they're choosing not to come and i have to think that for lots of pastors you know even a pastor like you who's saying hey get out here come out here i i'm guessing and i don't know but i'm guessing most people are still they're not coming and they don't want to come and that's largely because you know, it's it's not that they're not willing to take any risks, because like you said, they're going to Costco and they're going to other places, but they just don't really see the benefit of corporate gathering versus maybe doing, you know, an online service. But I think if we're really honest, most people who are doing online services are either missing a lot of services or, you know, they might have like an iPad open on the other side yep. and they're browsing yeah, and they got the yeah, screen then, off. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, so... Um, I, again, I can only speak for what's going on with Thanksgiving Church, okay? Um, you, you know, and like the KM with the Korean ministry, um, they are currently averaging about 200 people, okay? Out of a thousand that were attending uh, our services uh, before the lockdowns, before COVID-19. Yeah. Okay. Um, LifePoint or uh, EM ministry, including the college ministry, right? Um, we are averaging about 150 right now, okay, which is about half, half yeah. of uh, our EM ministry, right, um, it, which is about 300 with EM and college students, okay. Um, but at the, at the same time, I, I, I have to, um, you know, uh, qualify that there are certain people that want to attend, but we're not right now providing children's ministry. Sure. Okay. So recently, right, a month ago, we opened up our high school junior high services outdoors. Mm -hmm. Okay. In January, we're going to start our elementary or, you know, uh, jam ministry, which is our, you know, first to fifth grade. Um, and we're going to op uh, allow open uh, outdoor services for them. Okay. And so, so there are some couples that I know, parents with children, they just cannot come uh, because we're not offering children's ministry, but we're getting there. But there are some people that I just spoke to. And these are leaders. These are like our small group leaders. You know, I asked them, okay, why are you not coming out to church service? You know what their answer was? 
they had no excuse. They said, well, we're just lazy. Okay? Sure. That staying at home in their pajamas, watching service online has become a habit. Yeah. And that is a bad, bad precedence and habit that any believer um, uh, will establish. Yeah. That being said, here's another thing that in one sense I'm thankful for. I think what COVID-19 is doing too, it is separating, okay, the people who attend church, they're separating the weeds and the tear. It is separating the sheep and the goats, right? Um, there are a lot of people in, 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 like in, in Thanksgiving church, right, that come to church for all the wrong reasons, right? So for social gathering, for business connections, uh, or, or a cheap meal, okay, at our yeah. cafeteria on Sundays, okay, or, you know, free babysitting, dropping kids off uh, for our, you know, children ministry, you know, um, for, you know, for whatever reason. What, what I think the Lord is doing in, in many ways, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned, but I'm thankful. It's a, it's a very interesting feeling that I'm having right now, okay, because I don't want anyone to miss church right i don't want anyone to fall through the cracks i don't want anyone to like um uh spiritually backslide during this season okay but i think one good thing that's happening is the lord is separating the sheep and the goats god is cutting the fat of the church okay yeah um if i could use that analogy yeah. right and that he is um, um really refining the church and uh, really uh, i think we're going to come out of this season where people are uh, part of your church community because they're committed and uh, they're, um, they know Christ and um, they are willing to uh, do whatever it takes for the cause of Christ. Yeah, I hear you. And I, I, I largely agree. <sighs> I mean, it just, it seems like a sifting or like a pruning, right? Mm -hmm. Where the church is being pruned and um, you know, it's painful. I'm, you know, as a pastor, especially, I'm sure it's, it's somewhat painful um, but I do think it's it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's not necessarily right? a bad thing for the church to be pruned because the purpose is because it's it's going to cause those that do bear fruit to bear more fruit, and right, and that's kind of my hope, you know, for all of this COVID and lockdown stuff. You know, I don't have you for super long, so I would love I, I want to talk to you more about this, but there are other things that I also want to talk to you about, Pastor Ed, because I okay. know you served for many years in the military um, as a chaplain. And um, you have a heart for defense, and I've had several conversations with you about how we feel like there's this need for Christians to start taking responsibility for defending their homes, mm -hmm. their communities, their churches, their businesses. And I think, you know, here in America, we're, we've been really blessed because we've had a pretty trustworthy government, pretty trustworthy police force. And I think what's happened is, you know, we've basically entrusted, you know, everything to them, mm. but in light of rec recent circumstances, and specifically I'm talking about, you know, a lot of the stuff that went on earlier this year. We had we had rioting, we had looting in, in a lot of major cities. Um, you know, you can tell us a bit more about it, but we had yeah. some um, businesses looted here in Southern California mm -hmm. that were um, part of, of your church. And yep. so kind of in the wake of all that, um, I think many leaders are starting to ask the question, can we rely on our government and our police force to defend us, or 
is it necessary? Is it necessary for Christians to really start thinking about defending yeah. themselves? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So um, I think there's a couple of theological and philosophical questions we have to ask ourselves, right? And one is, number one, what is the role of government? What is the role of government, okay? Um, and I think both secular and uh, biblical scholars would uh, agree that basic role government is provide security and safety for their people. Okay? Uh, I, I think that is a fundamental uh, requirement of the government. Even uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, when he talks about uh, authorities, right? He says here in Romans 13, verse 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities where there is no authority except from God. And, and those that ex exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers, give us forward, verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to, to good conduct, but to bad. Uh, would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant, meaning referring to the government for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Now, they didn't use a sword to... You know, with, uh, you know, spank people. They use it to decapitate people, right? <laughs> okay. Um, for he's a servant of God, avenger, who carries out God's wrath and the wrongdoer. So what we understand in this context is that the basic fundamental role of government, it's not to provide for free education, health care, okay? Right. But it is to provide security, safety for its citizens. Okay? All right? So that's, you know, that's established, okay? Yeah. But when the government fails to do so, the question is, what is the responsibility of the individual citizen? Okay? Now, more specifically, I think your question is, what is the responsibility of Christians? Okay? When Jesus says, like, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn your other cheek, right? So let me explain what that is, okay? But, bef but before we go into that context, I do want to talk about the reason why it's important when the government fails, right, to provide security that I believe, okay, biblically speaking, that as a father okay, and as a leader of the church, it is our responsibility to provide security. For, for example, let me give you an example, okay? Mm -hmm. um, when I came to Thanksgiving Church, um, I required every single volunteer who work with minors to do a background check. Right. Why? Why? Is it, I mean, um, isn't that the responsibility of the government to, you know, track sexual predators, right? Um, and prevent them from like working around children? Um, yes, but the government cannot do all that. So we take an initiative, right? Another guard, rail guard to prevent sexual predators to abuse our minors. So we do a background check. Okay? That's the responsibility of a leader, whether it's in church or whether at home. Right. Okay? So it's the same context of physical harm, right? If some crazy lunatic comes to my house or comes to my church and would cause harm, it is our responsibility as leaders to provide that protection or be that protection. And I will make the argument, when you fail to do that, you have failed 
God's responsibility upon a leader to do that for your family or your church. Okay? Let me so, let me ask yeah, you some ahead. questions about that because th that's great. Um, I I'm in agreement with you. I'm gonna um, but I want to push back a little bit because there's a lot of people with concerns about this, right? Mm -hmm. um, are you are we just encouraging people hey bring your bring your gun to church day you know like everybody bring your gun and um you know people are afraid won't what if we isn't there a greater chance that we could have an accident isn't there a greater chance that you know um you know maybe something that would have just been a fist fight breaks out and now somebody's dead something like that i think people have a general fear of firearms in particular right but it just in in, in terms of having a force Right. And, um, you know, shouldn't we just pay security guards, right? And have security people doing it. Yeah. Well, uh, I've heard that argument, right? You know, uh, and so, first of all, I'm not advocating to break the law. Okay. Again, state by state, California requires to have a concealed carry uh, firearm training. Okay. And to have a I guess a certification of car that you've been do that training to have a concealed weapon. So, you know, if you think it's important for yourself or someone in your church to have a concealed weapon carry permit, then go buy, go through the appropriate means, right, without breaking the law that is established in this in this state to do so. Right. But second of all, like as a pastor, I have identified some of our police officers. Um, um, and they had the right to carry right uh, firearms, and so I've asked them, "Would you be okay, and comfortable to come to church with firearm, you know, concealed weapon?" And um, and they all said yes. They'd be more than willing to do it. And so well, I'm not advocating to break any laws, first of all. Right. All right. Okay. Now, um, the accidental shooting deaths; those are always tragic, right? But I would tell you, people who have uh. A respect for firearms, who go through the laws, go through background checks, who actually have training, are more safe, right, um, handling a firearm um, than the average person who doesn't understand the the you know the, what what a firearm actually does, right? So yeah. uh, that argument is really really weak. Um, so I advocate for training. I advocate for uh, obey the law that is established in California. I advocate um, that we don't do anything that's illegal and definitely nothing that's immoral or unethical. Yeah, I, you know, as I listen to you, what what I hear in your heart is like, we want people to get trained, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's the issue, right? It's just that we have a large population. Most, your average Christian that goes to church is not trained on the use of firearms, right? Yeah. So I think that is really the heart of the issue. We want people to be trained because, you know, we're, uh, look, I, I, I'm, I'm making this argument. What happened with the George Floyd incident, right? Yes. It was a tragedy. I think almost everyone sure. agrees that it was a tragedy. Now, that officer was immediately fired, right? Mm -hmm. He was arrested, and he's, I, I assume he's still going through trial right now, right? He's in the trial process. Mm -hmm. So everything happened as it's supposed to happen, right? It's not like we had a situation where, you know, he got off, and he's, you know, he, he they never arrested him, no consequences, Right. No, everything happened the way it's supposed to happen, and yet there was mass rioting all over the United States after that happened, right? Not only was there mass rioting, but there was it was there was com complicit action by leading members of government. We had members of Biden's you know team 
advocating people, encouraging them to bail out people who were arrested during the rioting. We had a situation, I know in Portland, the DA refused to prosecute those who were rioting. They were arrested by the police. The DA refused to prosecute. Something like over 80% of those that were arrested were released, right? And then you have the Seattle police chief, the police chief of Seattle, right? She writes a public letter and she tells business owners, we cannot protect you. You have to protect yourself. We cannot protect you because the city council has tied our hands. Even yeah. they, they would not let them use even non-lethal, you know, forms of deterrence. They couldn't use tear gas. They couldn't use rubber bullets. They couldn't use anything. And so what we have is we have this really interesting situation where specifically, if you're living in a more you know left-controlled city, like almost every major city in America at this point. You have to understand that they don't have a priority for protecting business owners, right, or churches or these types. That's not their priority because, you know, in some ways, business owners, you know, they they don't really represent their constituency. Their constituency, as they see it, is the oppressed or the minority or however, you know, it's it's so there's so many different categories now. But and I I just say, look, it's not like the police are never going to shoot another black man. Right, this is going to happen again, mm-hmm. almost certainly, and yep. all the momentum right now. You know, I don't want to say all the momentum, but much of the momentum is on this type of this type of thing increasing. It's not like Black Lives yeah. Matter is dying. Yeah, right. Yeah, you, you know, Dennis, you bring a really good point because this is my frustration with these Democratic uh, policy leaders in the cities that say, first of all, hey, we can't protect your businesses, right? So you're on your own, but at the same time. They uh, are has the most strictest laws for good citizens to defend themselves. Like for example, right. give you an example. Chicago has the most rigid laws to uh, to own a firearm. Okay, but why did Chicago has the highest shooting deaths in every city in America? Right. Okay. So you know the whole idea, like you know. Uh, if we just get rid of guns or we have stricter laws of guns that will prevent uh, murders or death, that is not the case. And by the way, you mentioned about, um, you know, a black man will be shot by a police, right? It's, uh, it was, was, which is sad and, you know, it, it's tragic whenever that happens. But let me, again, let me give you some statistics. I know people don't like facts and statistics and truth, okay? But here's what the truth is, this is from the FBI, FBI data uh, information, right? So African-Americans make 13% of the U.S. population. Half of them are male African-Americans that make about 7 to 8%, okay? The FBI data tells us that the 7% of the U.S. population commit over 50% of violent crime, right? You think about that, right? Okay. So, what are the chances of a black man being confronted by a police officer and being shot and killed? It's higher because why? African American men commit over fifty percent of violent crimes. I don't mean theft. I'm talking about rape. I'm talking about uh, uh, murder. I'm talking about uh, physical assault, sexual assault. That's what I'm talking about, right? right? And so 
for 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 um, any of us to talk about defunding the police, right? Based on a very small number of percentage of people being shot by police and killed, right? Here's another statistics, right? Uh, when you talk about police shooting with whites and police shooting with blacks, and I don't know if you know the statistics on this. Oh yeah, right? It's lower. Like right. police shoot blacks less, even though they commit more crime. Right. Right. Okay. Then the the ratio of the ratio of yeah, white yeah, yeah. being shot and killed. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then when the, when people uh, call for the defunding of police, at the end of the day, right, the people who are the hurt most are those who live in the inner city, right. are those who have to deal with the the gangs and the thugs and the murderers and the rapists. When the police presence is not there, they're the ones being hurt more than any of us. See, if you're if you're a woke, white, privileged American living in the suburban, yeah, you could cry out for defunding the police. Cause you don't live in the cities where there is daily crime and you know and literally right literally facing uh uh uh, uh what is it death by drive-by shootings or by gangs, right? right. Um, and so these people who, quote, advocate for, for African-Americans are really hurting the African-American community by demanding the defending of police. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen a couple polls. They've actually polled black communities, inner city communities. Like, do you want less funding for police, more funding police, or same amount? And yeah. the, the same amount and more are always larger always, than, yeah, than defunding, exactly. right? Yeah, because yeah. they they rely on the police. You know, yeah. Charles Barkley, I think he put it well. He's like, hey, without the police, who are you going to call? <laughs> right? You you can call the Ghostbusters. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, all right. Yeah. Yes, I I understand that. I think um, you know, this question of the role of government is actually a really a really big one. Right, because yeah. you're you're you know quoting from scripture from Romans thirteen. You're talking about the purpose of government is to provide defense. I'm with you. I think that that is the founding mentality of the role for government. But that's been increasingly challenged in our time yep. by another paradigm that would argue that really the role of government is to to um, provide equality to society or something like that. And this is kind of a, a huge debate. And generally speaking, if you're older, you kind of lean to a more traditional view of, yeah, the government's supposed to protect us. Um, but if you're younger these days, you lean, you tend to lean towards a perspective that um, government is supposed to bring equality or supposed to help bring equality. And I think that that is a, 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 a pretty big difference because when we're talking about training and this idea you know, the founders set up our government in, I think, a really wise way. And I think, you know, the fact that most young people don't understand the founding principles of the nation is a huge reason why mm-hmm. there's such a divergence right now. But part of that founding principle, I want to point out two, and I'll let, and then I'll let you respond to this. I would say, number one, they believed that the, that the government needed Christianity, right? Like the founders believed that our system of government was the idea was we're going to have the government be as weak as possible, right? Because their fear was that the more power you give government, the more it tends to become oppressive. And so their argument was, no, we want to make the government as weak as possible, but the only way that that can work is if we, if we have a strong national morality, 
And that's mm-hmm. why they saw Christianity as being essential to the national framework. I forget which founding father said it, but they, you know, a, a number of them said a no, like very similar things about this, right? That Christianity yeah. or religion was essential. That you can't have liberty without a robust. Um, religion amongst the masses, and they weren't talking about mandating religion, but they were just saying it was important that churches do the job of effectively infusing people with a strong sense of personal morality. And the second part that I want to say is that they also believed that um, the people needed to be able to effectively rebel against a government if it became tyrannical or oppressive. And that's the idea of the Second Amendment, right? It's the right not yeah. only to have firearms, but really it's it's the right to form militias, right? And the idea behind this is that the, the populace, the citizenry, has to be able to oppose and effectively fight a government that becomes oppressive. And that seems really um, relevant today, especially when we just saw in Hong Kong. We had maybe the, the greatest protest of all time going on in Hong Kong. The problem is they don't have guns, right? And you've got tons of people in China that would love to change the government but they don't have guns, right? They had a student protest back in the, I forget, was it the 80s or the 90s, Tiananmen Square. Yeah, Tiananmen Square. Right, yeah. and and the government, the Chinese government just rolled in with tanks. So and rolled people over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sorry, that was that was before the, the 80s or 70s maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and in North Korea, I'm sure you'd have a lot of people that would love to change the government. But this idea of, you know, you cannot change your government, an oppressive government, without guns and without militias. And that's why the founders gave us that in a constitutional guarantee. But now we live in an age where people are like, but I don't I don't trust people to have guns, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't want people to have guns. They want only governmental authorities to have guns. And there's this such this over-reliance on government to do all these things that the framers naturally intended for us to be able to do. And I think that hits yeah. at the heart of this question, right? Because when yeah, we're talking about sure. defense, a lot of people are like, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. But I think that this fits in very well with the original design and intent of the American system. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, you know, this is such a great topic, and you know, and, and we could talk about this by a couple of hours. Um, but a, a couple of things I, that come to mind. First of all, I would encourage everyone to read a book, several books written by John Locke. Right? He is an expert in the data research about gun control, and you know, and, and that he makes the claim that actually people who own guns and guns itself prevent more crime than police do. Okay. Because I mean, you know, you know, I I support the police, right? I I actually volunteered my time as a uh, uh, as a uh, uh, um, a Bonaparte City chaplain, okay? Because uh, I we want you know I want to support our police department. I want to support what they do. But in ninety nine point nine percent of the time, the police come after the crime has taken place. Right. Okay. And so, how do we prevent crime? In um um is Again, the the right to bear arms, um, and as you mentioned, that the Constitution makes it clear the Second Amendment allows average citizens, okay, to bear arms for two reasons. Why? It's not for hunting, okay, right, or just for a recreational shooting, okay. Two reasons why: one, to protect your personal property. Right. Um, because the forefathers actually believe that uh, we have the right to pursue 
you know, uh, not only happiness, but the right uh, really to uh, own property. And how do you protect your own property? It's through by bearing arms. And second, like you mentioned, um, I think that's the most important reason why that the forefathers understood that um, when you give a group of people like the government too much power, uh, that they will abuse that power. And I'm not sure uh, who said this, but it's true. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Right. And so having citizens the right to bear arms, one of the principles, one of the main reasons why was that if the government okay, uh, becomes tyrannical, oppressive, when the government um, stops to serve the people and ends up serving itself, okay, that the, the people had the right to overthrow that government, even if it means with force. Right. Now, I think that should be the last, right? Uh, 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 what is it? What's the word I was going to use? The last um, cause, reason, you know, use actually force to overthrow a government. Um, and, you know, there's many ways to do it, whether it's voting in America or civil disobedience, right? Um, but yeah, that is there, like you said, so that when the government becomes too oppressive, that the people with firearms could overthrow um, that government, establish a government that is truly for the people. Yeah, I think um, you know, for a lot of people growing up today, and this is the, well, this is our last question. And I'll let you go after this because I know yeah. you got to go. Um, for a lot of people growing up today they've had it so good you know we've had it so good we don't even understand you know um most of the people the, the people that i'm speaking speaking with who are my age or younger oftentimes young adults um you know they didn't even really experience the cold war right as, as, as long as they've been alive america has been you know the global superpower and they've been really safe but they don't really understand what communism was like and how it almost took over the world they never understood the fascist threat or the threat of you know in world war ii that we had to face so um this idea that i need to be trained to provide defense i think that's really foreign to young people yeah. i just want to i just want to ask you like as a former um as, as a veteran as a military veteran and as a pastor and as a leader, what would you say to younger people who are like, is that something that I is, that I need to, to to worry about? Yeah. So you mentioned about the Cold War. Uh, and that's very interesting. I think we can make an analogy about like why the need to bear arms. OK, the reason why we never had a World War Three nuclear war was because it was deterrence. Right. Reagan had this ideal. We're, we're going to so arm ourselves with, with nuclear warheads that, that the Soviets would never think of even pushing uh, a nuclear warhead or shooting one over the U.S. skies, right? Right. Mutually so, assured destruction. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know, usually firearms, um, in, that, in that case, was a nuclear heads, right? Nuclear war weapons. Um, but, you know, and for more uh, personable uh, or more where we live, okay? Firearms is a deterrent, right? I hope that I will never have to use my, you know, firearm to shoot or kill someone, okay? Um, but it's a deterrent, right? And so um, this whole ideal, right, as, as the government, I think, is losing its sight in America, what is the basic fundamental reason why they're there to exist, okay? And I mentioned, like, you know, the government 
the fundamental, uh, you know, uh, existence isn't to provide for a free education or healthcare for everyone. Now, are those, you know, are those good? Yes, but, you know, it's that basic fundamental to provide security for your citizens. If it fails to do so, it, again, going back to, um, you know, several minutes ago, but, you know, what we talked about bearing arms and firearms is that it is your responsibility, okay? And not to do so um, and to neglect that responsibility, you are, uh, I think uh, I would make the case that you are being irresponsible and you will be, um, uh, as Christians, um, um, to call to judge me before God. So before we wrap it up, let me, let me can I go back to what Please, like, yeah. you brought up earlier about Jesus talking about if someone slaps you one cheek, turn your other cheek. Right. Okay. All right. In, in that context, none of those threats were life-threatening. Okay. When someone slaps you one, uh, you know, your cheek, it was a, a gesture of insult. Okay. Not, it wasn't gesture to take your own life. Right. And so, um, you know, if someone insults me, you know, with their language or, 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 you know, even, even would slap me in the cheek, right? That's, that's, that's our attitude or reaction uh, as Christians is to be loving and forgiving. But if that threat escalates to a point of taking my life or my family's life, you know, that's why we have, we even have laws or secular laws that talks about protecting those who self-defense. Okay. Right. Here's another question people ask me one time. Well, how about being a martyr for Christ? Yeah, uh, we are called to be a martyr for Christ, okay? But we're not called to be a martyr, okay? Uh, if, if someone wants to take uh, my children or my wife or destroy my property, right? If I was faced to deny Christ today, okay, and to give my life, we are called to give our lives for that truth and that faith. But that's not the same context uh, when someone comes to my house in the middle of the night, they're not going to threaten me, will you deny Christ? No, they're, they're, they're threatening my life and my family's life. Right. So that's a, you, you're trying to compare apples and oranges here. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that's how my understanding of scripture. Yeah, I, I agree uh, with you. I think that turn the other cheek really should be understood as bare petty insults right bear mm -hmm. it when people insult you but it's not necessarily a command to never defend yourself and especially never to defend others i think there are very explicit scriptures that speak about the that it's our responsibility to defend the defenseless specifically um, yeah, absolutely yeah so we're, you know, we're I mean, going to talk go ahead sorry dennis so there was a you know there's another scripture text when jesus sends out to 12 there's an occasion where he says to take what a sword with you right well for what for what jesus understood Sending out the disciples out in the the wild, right? I mean, we're talking about the wild, like the like the wild wild west, okay? Mm -hmm. Where they're dead and robbers on the roads, where they're animals and wolves, and and they're in danger. That Jesus understood that danger, so he told them to take a sword with them to what? To protect, not to go hunting, right? He he wasn't trying to teach the disciples how to go hunt deer with a knife, okay? <laughs> right. But it was to have a weapon to protect themselves just in case they're confronted by robbers or wild animals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I totally agree with you, Pastor Ed. Thank you so much <laughs> for your time. Thanks for sharing your heart um, and appreciate you as a pastor and all that you're doing to you know disciple the people of God. Um, thanks a lot. Well, thanks, Dennis, for this opportunity. And 
again, uh, it's, it's always a joy to converse with you. And uh, I hope that this podcast, uh, Righteous Random Minute, will go, you know, will be touched a lot of listeners and encourage them in their walk with the Lord. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. We'll have, we'll have you back on one day. All right, brother. Okay. All right. Have a good one. Have a good one. All right, thanks.